lawsuit just came down. And so, uh, so, so forgive me uh, for being uh, slightly uh, uh, out of breath here. But, but I want to pull this up so I can show you. So uh, the signatories uh, on this letter, uh, Byron Allen, uh, also um, uh, Todd Brown, uh, Butch Graves with Black Enterprise, uh, Munson Steve with Rolling Out, uh, and also Junior Bridgman, uh, of course, who is a Coca-Cola Coca bottler who also owns uh, Ebony Media. He bought Ebony Media. Now, uh, in this particular letter uh, that uh, we all agreed to sign, this is what uh, Byron Allen states in here. Again, he says that McDonald's has spent approximately $17 billion in advertising promotion and very little went to black-owned media, not to be confused with black-targeted media. Simultaneously, as this is occurring, uh, he wrote a letter to the CEO. He said, your, your own personal compensa compensation package for 2020 totaled just under $11 million, more than double the approximate $5 million that McDonald's spent with all of black-owned media combined last year. This is indefensible. Now, um, this is what he also says. He says, we're not, he said point blank. He said that, uh, says in here that McDonald's uh, has a racist and very toxic uh, uh, culture. He said, to be clear, this concerns black-owned media and not minority-owned media. Because minority includes white women and large corporations like McDonald's often hide behind and tout their minority diversity records while continuing not to do business with black-owned media companies. Now, let me, let me speak to this. Here's the argument that we have been making for quite some time. African Americans are representing a significant market share of various companies, McDonald's, General Motors, Toyota, Target, and we can go on and on and on. Yet when you start asking how much of that money is coming back to black-owned businesses, it's not even remotely the same. In fact, what we're seeing is that there's a wide disparity. About $170 billion is being spent every single year on advertising in the United States. Prior to our campaign, black-owned media has been getting 1%. You heard me last week talk about the Forrest Marsh Group. They receive a significant number of federal contracts for advertising. How much of that is going to African Americans? Well, according to a 2018 study asked for by Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton, federal government over five years spent $5 billion. Black media got $51 million out of the $5 billion. Let me repeat that. Black-owned media got $51 million out of the $5 billion. That's on a federal level. McDonald's announced they're going to go from 2% to 5%. That means that all this period, African-American, black-owned media had only been getting 2%. According to Byron Allen's lawsuit, African-Americans represent 40% of McDonald's customers. 2%, 40%. I know for a fact that there have been black executives at McDonald's and black McDonald's franchisees who have been pushing the company to do more. For the last two years, I keynoted the National Black McDonald Operators, Owners and Operators Conference the last two years. I spoke about economic apartheid and economic inclusion and how these companies must do better. So the lawsuit from Byron Allen should not be a surprise when we start talking about the lack of inclusion. 
there's some of you who may be watching and you might be saying, okay, Roland, I don't really understand. Like, really, what's the big deal? Folks, this is why we're broke. Economic apartheid is being practiced in America. If black-owned companies are not getting advertising dollars, are not getting legal dollars, bond dollars, accounting firms, engineering firms, architecture and design firms. I mean, I can go on and on and on. I'm not talking about companies hiring a couple of black consultants and paying them sixty, eighty, or dollars or $100,000. I'm talking about what happens when we're not getting $10,000, million, dollars $100,000,000. So let me just give you another example so you can understand the difference that this makes. So let's say we, let's say we, let's say we here at Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's say we, um, all of a sudden, let's say we, all of a sudden, Go from where we are now, um, and we all of a sudden we let's just say go to twenty-five million dollars a year. Okay, I want you to think about this. Let's say we go from two million a year to twenty-five million dollars a year. Let's say I decide to pay a reporter a hundred thousand dollars. Let's say I decide to hire. 20 reporters at $100,000 each. That's $2 million. Okay? So let's say I decide to hire five editors to supervise those 20 reporters at $150,000. Then that comes out to $750,000. Okay? Which means I could, I could hire 25 staffers and spend, you throw in benefits, things along those lines. So let's say I would spend upwards of $4 million. Let's just push it to $5 million. I got $23 million more. I mean, I'm left with $18 million. That means we cannot spend money on advertising and marketing. That means we can actually hire more producers. That means we can upgrade our technology. That means we can build capacity. But when... That doesn't happen when we don't get those dollars. We can't do that. If y'all want to understand why black America is in the condition that it is in right now, it is because in the history of the United States, economic apartheid has been practiced. In the history of the United States, we have been frozen out of every sector of this society and folks want to say, hey, but we're all equal. The argument that I make is very simple. If you are a company in America and you are receiving significant dollars from black people, money should be coming back to black people. What do I want to see at McDonald's? I don't want to see 200 black franchisees. Out of 39,000, mm-hmm. I want to see 13% of the franchisees at McDonald's are black. So let me do the math. You said that McDonald's has 39,000 franchisees. I'm just going to go ahead and do this here. Uh, cause I, I just think is it because I'm walking y'all through this here for a very precise reason. 
because I think a lot of times we uh, don't uh, properly uh, explain this. And I think the customer needs to be fully aware. Uh, you're the consumer. You need to be fully aware of what I'm talking about here. Uh, so let me see if I can go ahead and do this here. I'm going to try to do it my iPhone. I just want y'all to understand, because I'm walking you through this, because I think you need to be aware of why the battle is going on. Uh, Henry, can you see my calculator? You should be able to see it in a second. Uh, okay, so 39,000. There are 39,000 McDonald's franchisees. Let's say 13% of the population is African American, times 0.13. That means that if you did the math, and you said African-Americans represent 13% of the population. Of McDonald's 39,000 franchisees, we should have 5,070 franchisees. Right now it's less than 300. So let me go further. Mm-hmm. Go back. 39,000 franchisees. According to Byron Allen's lawsuit, African-Americans represent 40% of McDonald's customers. Mm. So we do 39,000 times 40%. That means that means that if you took the number of customers African American customers of McDonald's and said that should be then represented by franchisees we should have 15,600 franchisees. Hmm. 15,000 out of 39,000. So to go from 2 to 5%, <laughs> I'm not satisfied. I appreciate the statement McDonald's put out. I appreciate the comments that are in the press release. But I'm sorry. I am unwilling to accept an increase from 2 to 5% over the next four years. <laughs> like I said about General Motors, McDonald's. Do 5% now. Why are we waiting? We know the black companies that exist. We know who they are. We know where they work. Folks, this right here, this is a list of the people who signed the letter. This is a list. And I read it. And I'm trying, I'm trying to get people. See. <laughs> We have been told, and I guarantee you, uh, Greg Carr will show you with all the books behind him. How long have we been told? <laughs> wait. Wait. Be patient. By our Alice company, black owned. Earl Butch Graves Jr., black enterprise, black owned. New Vision Media, black owned. Monson Steed, CEO, rolling out, black owned. Todd Brown's launching launch Urban Edge Networks, HBCU League Pass, black owned. Ebony Media, Junior Bridgman, black-owned. Blavity, black-owned. I can go down the line of black-owned media companies that exist right now. Mm. So the question is, why are these companies saying we've got to wait till 2025 to reach 5%? People say, be patient. <laughs> we have been. Since 1619. <laughs> We've been patient since 1865. <laughs> We've been patient since 1877. We've been patient since 1954. 
We've been patient since 1960. Patient since, 19, since 1968. African Americans will never, ever, I need everybody listening to me because I need you to understand what I am saying. We are no longer interested in talking about economic freedom. We are interested in practicing it. We're not interested in press releases. We are interested in direct deposits. We are not interested in talking about how do we get to that gold at the end of a rainbow. We're talking about depositing it. <laughs> this generation is simply trying to fix this for the next generation. We're in the third reconstruction. We're going to talk about that in a second. We're in the third reconstruction. The first one failed because it didn't address the money. The second one was good, but it didn't address the money. We are no longer interested in just talking about voting rights and mass incarceration and criminal justice reform and health equities and education. <laughs> because, folks, this is America. And if you want to understand America, you must deal with the money. And if we, as black consumers, are spending it, we, as black owners, should be receiving it. My pal, Reese Colbert, Black Women Views, Dr. Greg Carr, Chairman, Department of Afro-American Studies at Howard University. Uh, also, Mustafa uh, Santiago Ali, PhD, former Senior Advisor for Environmental Justice at the EPA. Um, Reese, I want to start with you. We, we, folk love talking about politically. Oh, black women, black women. Oh, yeah, black women. We can get black women to turn out. Mm -hmm. Do you fund black women? Do you invest in black women? Are you hiring black women to be event planners? Are you hiring black women to be political consultants? Are you hiring black women to be pollsters? Are you hiring black women to produce the radio commercials? Are you hiring black women to produce the television commercials? Are you hiring black women to actually place the media? See, folk love our labor. <laughs> they love us being political sharecroppers. <laughs> they love for us being retail sharecroppers. But when we start talking about us selling the crops ourselves then we're told to be patient. Not anymore. I completely agree with you, Roland. It's time to cut the check. I'm tired of the thank you, black woman, for saving us. Thank you, black people, for saving us. And what do we get? We need a return on our investment. Point blank, period. And it's long overdue. And I agree with you, Roland. We're not talking about cutting emissions, carbon emissions in the entire global world. We're talking about giving us some damn money. Y'all got checks right now. They got cash on hands. So you can go on ahead and cut the check and put that direct deposit in these bank accounts. Anything else is nothing but rhetoric. And like I always say, 
I don't care about the rhetoric. I want to see the receipts. And it's time to start bringing some receipts to all of these pledges and all of these announcements that they're making. And as Byron Allen in the letter that you signed says, it's not just minority owned, it's black owned. I'm trying to figure out how the hell they have this wide bucket that pretty much captures at least 50% of the country in terms of what they what they describe as diversity and say that that whole diverse bucket is going to get 10% within the next five years. The math ain't math in McDonald's. We spending the money. I see McDonald's at the Essence Festival. I see McDonald's at all kind of black shit. But when it comes to paying black people, the actual owners, not just black targeted uh, companies that are still white owned, they got nothing but excuses. So I'm with you 100% on this one, Roland. It's time to cut the check. Not five years from now, but today. Mustafa, let me be clear. And I know many of them. There are African-Americans. First of all, McDonald's, our frat brother, was the first black CEO of McDonald's, Don Thompson. 18 months and the board decided to get rid of him because they felt that uh, he wasn't turning the company around fast enough. And then they hired a white CEO who executed Don's plan that's how the company rebounded. That same CEO got ran off because he was having sex with employees. <laughs> but the thing here, that mean the, the white CEO replacement, not Don Thompson. But So here's what I do know. I know black people who, who have been executives working inside who have been sounding the alarm. I know black franchisees have been sounding the alarm. I know that there are black people who are at Target uh, who are at GM, Ford, Chrysler, Mercedes, BMW. I know they are in every major corporation fighting a good fight, trying to get these corporations to do right. They know the data. They know black people and what we're spending. They understand our spending capacity. But the corporations are playing games when it comes to supporting. And the thing is this here. We know that we exist. So the reason we have Small businesses can't build capacity, can't get dollars, can't build capacity. And so what this is about is this is about saying we're no longer interested in companies giving aid to black America, giving charity to black America, being philanthropic to black America. What we're saying is no. This is investment. This is ROI. This is a return on investment. We are investing in you with our dollars. We expect you to support our businesses. Yeah, you know, this is uh, this is about power. That's what it's really about. Because they know if we build economic power, then many of the uh, things that have been going on inside of our communities because we didn't have the resources to be able to properly fight back that that paradigm then changes. This is an old narrative that we are dealing with, but we're dealing, we now have 21st century solutions to this old narrative. This is, as you led off with, about black farmers not being paid the same as white farmers for bringing in the exact same crops. This is about black folks paying money to sit in theaters and then being told you have to sit in the balcony or in the back. This is about black folks paying the same amount of money to get on a bus and then be told to sit in the back of the bus or in the back of the train. So this is about also disinvestment and the extraction of wealth outside of our communities. So they will take our dollars, but then they also disinvest in our entities and the structures that are necessary for us to be able to one, fully compete and two, 
for us to be able to also make sure that the proper narratives are being shared. I saw it in the federal context. You talked a little bit about federal dollars and, and how folks would raise it, but then people would just kind of fluff it off and say, well, you know, we're making sure that white women and other minorities are being taken care of in this federal contracting and subcontracting space. You know, whether it's McDonald's or GM or whoever it is, if you want our dollars, then you have to also be willing to reinvest back into our communities at a fair share. <laughs> and until that happens, there cannot be economic justice. And we should actually be utilizing our dollars better and saying that if these companies, these corporations are not willing to do the right thing, then you will no longer receive our dollars because there are other choices that we can move forward on. Now, let me let me let me I want I want I want Greg to really to focus on this. Because I see people in chat going, boycott. See, that means you haven't studied your history. It was Reverend Leon Sullivan who created the apparatus that led to Operation Breadbasket. It was Operation Breadbasket that was, it was uh, he presented to Dr. King. Dr. King adopted that as the national program for SCLC. And then he picked Reverend Jesse Jackson Sr. to run it. I told y'all, if you read Martin Depp's book, you'll understand. Boycott was not first on the agenda. It was last. The mistake that people make, Greg, is they yell, Boycott! But you have not informed anybody. You haven't taught anybody. You haven't made a demand. You haven't made an ask. You haven't negotiated a deal. If you understand Operation Breadbasket, you will understand that it was after the people were informed, people were educated, it was after they collected the data to understand what they were asking for. It was after they then said, these are, we want to see black executives, black hires, we want to see money invested in black banks, we want to see black businesses getting contracts. It was when the companies refused after a period of time, then they went to the pulpits and said, we will now take direct action. What I need everybody listening to understand is you've got to learn to stop being emotional by yelling boycott when you ain't playing nothing. <laughs> when you've informed nobody. When you, when you haven't taught anybody. So people just running around going, boycott, boycott, boycott. <laughs> No. See, the announcement today, and again, I appreciate the announcement from McDonald's, that they're going to go from 2 to 5% on black-owned media by 2025. Roland is saying, thank you, but we're not waiting for 2025. Do 5 now. And in fact, make your goal 13. The goal for me is not 5. The goal for me is 13. If we're spending... If, you're, if we represent, if Byron Allen's number is right, that black consumers represent 40% of your market, well, the least you can do is spend the percentage that African Americans represent in the population. So I need black people to pump their brakes on social media when they start hollering certain things unless you put in the work to properly organize and mobilize your people. Greg? Greg, we can't, uh, hold up. I think you're on mute. Okay. Now we got you. Yeah. 
I was because I was typing on the computer over there. I was trying to pull up the case. I haven't read the case yet. I, if if it, if it, if he's following the same strategy he followed in the Comcast suit, and this is a federal case, he's using that Civil Rights Act again. I was paying very careful attention as you as you narrated through there when he said separate but equal. Um, Referring, by the way, interestingly enough, to Tom Burrell, who those of you who know the history of black advertising, and you've led us through this many times, Roland, um, is the brother who all but invented the whole notion of targeted advertising when he did it for McDonald's. Remember that Calvin's Got a Job commercial? That was Tom Burrell, who apparently is getting one of these crumbs that McDonald's is. Well, no, no, no. Tom Burrell, no. He, Burrell, he, he, he sold Burrell, so he no longer controls Burrell. Oh, he doesn't. He's, so, so what is that Burrell then that they're talking about? No, no, no. That that's the same Burrell. He sold his 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 partners, uh, McGee, Ossie, uh, Linda, and others. He sold the former. He retired. He sold Burrell to them. That's right. That's right. Thank you. Because you know, like you, uh, Tom Burrell has shown some interest in investing in HBCUs. He created a Burrell Fellowship at Howard. In fact, uh, this is after his book Brainwashed came out, where he's showing how this thing manipulates how how these companies manipulate our buying trends, which actually speaks to the heart of what you're raising, Roland. You know, individuals don't beat institutions. And you can't have a boycott if there's no we. And in this country, there is no we in terms of black people. Black people are a demographic. You know, there's micro-targeting. There's the advertising trying to get us. You know, you read uh, Manny Marable's book, How Capitalism Underdeveloped Black America. Even the development of things like flavored sodas was targeted with black folk. You, you change the color of the sugar water, make it red, call it cherry, make it uh, purple, call it grape, and then micro-target. This is what Pepsi did, and this is, like I said, the bookshelf of stuff's been written about this, but but what you're talking about, Roland, there are a lot of moving parts, brother, and it's difficult. Um, near the end of his life, as Dr. King said, we need to redistribute the pain in terms of the selective buying movement. That came at the tail end of a lot of work, and of course, Reverend Jackson continued that, uh, expanded it, the whole Wall Street project, the whole idea, whether it be beer distributorships or Wall Street, whatever you want to say. I mean, the idea of targeting, but, but here's where I think it's, it's just very fascinating because again, this is breaking news. I was trying to look up the case. I haven't been able to locate it on the docket, but I'm gonna gonna read it uh, and realizing that Byron Allen has said over the next two years he wants to invest up to ten billion dollars and become the largest uh, television network uh, in, in the country. Uh, he bought what was it five or six television stations last uh, last month for about three hundred eighty million dollars. Um, but but I'm saying all that to say that. We have someone in Byron Allen, and I'll be, I'm the first one to say, look, my objective is black liberation. So, you know, I was pretty hard on Byron Allen and will continue to be. But at the same time, recognizing that you need a Byron Allen to, to kick in a door because we don't have an individual with enough institutional clout and, and the willingness to exercise it to kick that door in. Uh, unless you get somebody like a Byron Allen or Oprah Winfrey or, you know, something like that. But I'm saying I to say this. My questions, I have a lot of questions. One would be, if he kicks in that door, because you all are signatories to, signatories to that letter, and I, and I read some of, you know, I read, I was able to find the letter, I was reading the letter, I'm saying, like, McDonald's spends a, a, a billion six a year on advertising, and only like five million dollars of that goes to black-owned people. I'm, okay, yeah, if you can increase that, and certainly to the, if, if the demographic is right, 40%, then you're talking about a huge windfall. The question becomes, right. what what does the black what do the black control companies do with that money? Right. Is it like corporate America where you basically engage in stock buyback and then you sit back and you put your picture on the cover of Oprah magazine right. or and say, "Be like me," or, well, or are you going to ride 
here's the deal. First of all, Byron's company is private, privately owned, so uh-huh. there's no stock buyback. Uh, Urban One is uh, publicly traded. Uh, I saw a press release today where, where they where they were praising the McDonald's announcement for helping their stock price go up. Okay, uh, but but so but but the thing here is so let me unpack this so so I need people to understand because again we're talking about money here. The reason the reason black owned media is small. The reason black newspapers are small. The reason uh, all these entities are small because we've been suffocated out of the dollars. I'll say it again. I got no problem saying it. This is very simple, folks. If this company is able to get our fair share, if we are able, and and I need everybody to hear what I'm saying, and I got no problem for anybody coming back to check. If we're able to secure $25 million in this advertising revenue, 30 people will be hired. Show me, I don't know if you got 30 black journalists at the Washington Post. See, this is the, this is the difference. Then we go for not one show, but to 12 shows. This See, that's what, so all of a sudden, you're able to build capacity. Fox, Fox News makes a billion five in profit, not revenue, profit. So the reason CNN has CNN.com, they're doing CNN Films. They've got CNN Network, CNN International, CNN, all the different divisions because they're getting the advertising revenue. So now imagine black media now going from crumbs to a whole slice. Now you ain't hungry. Now, see, let me, let me not go into academia. Now, we shouldn't be upset when the University of North Carolina plays games with Nicole Hannah-Jones for tenure because now we can turn right around and invest that money in HBCUs and say, damn them. Y'all now have the money to hire folks for tenure. See, now, and that's just, I mean, that's just a current example of what happened. See, where we are now, I need everybody listening to my voice to understand this. Where we are now is our entire black infrastructure is predicated on philanthropy. The NAACP is solely existent on corporate donations. So truth be told, and the NAACP does great work, but the reason the NAACP can't really go hard when you're funded by corporate America. See, when Patrick Swigert was president of Howard University, he came on my radio show, WVON, and he was talking about the $250 million capital campaign that Howard was going through. And he proudly stated that 65% of the money for the capital campaign came through corporate donations. I said, Brother Swigert, that does not make me happy. He said, well, why? I said, well, Brother Swigert, if corporate America decides 
not to give Howard Falls. I said, so it should be 65 individual, 35 corporate. If people start examining our black institutions, if we, see, when the corporations pay our black businesses, then our black businesses can buy the tables. Then our black businesses can do the fundraisers for the black politicians. Then the black business owners, when, when Mustafa is working on environmental justice, we can say, brother, you don't have to sit here and go to that white nonprofit and beg them and kill yourself for $100,000. Here's a million. That, folk, is why we are sitting here. Greg, you talked about the money. And everybody listen to me again. Let me go ahead and pull the calculator out. This is how much money. This is how much money right here. Uh, matter of fact, I don't even think I can put it all on here. <laughs> you billion. Y'all, I, I can't even put billion on here. <laughs> so we're just going to use $170 million. Right now, in the advertising industry, $170 billion is spent on advertising. We get 1% of that. That's, that means that what we get, y'all see that's 170 million. Pretend that's 170 billion. This is what we get right here. Just pretend that's, pretend that's 1, 1. 1.7 billion. So out of 170 billion, black-owned media gets 1.7 billion total. Y'all, if we go from a 1.7 billion collective to 17 billion collective, that completely changes the game. That now means, oh, CNN, y'all got satellite trucks? So do we. That now means not well, Roland and Henry and Anthony is only three of them can go out and broadcast remotely. I can now send out 20 crews to broadcast from different parts around the country. That's how the game has changed, Reese. And I need our audience to understand every time you spend in that dollar, you should be saying, what's the return on investment to black people? Absolutely. I mean, here's the thing. I, I I understand where Dr. Carr is coming from. However, we still live in a capitalist society. At the end of the day, even if Roland Martin and Byron Allen and, and Blavity or whoever else got all the money and just pocketed it and put their faces on a magazine, that's it is what it is because it's a capitalist society. And so it's not coming out of our pockets necessarily. It's coming out of McDonald's very fat pockets. So no, but remember, it is, it is coming out of our pockets. Because we're the I mean, ones putting it in their pockets. That's true, but I mean, in the sense that right, right. at the end of the day, McDonald's is going to spend the money. It's about how you divide the pie. And we always have to go to the well to black people and over and over again. Like you, I mean, actually, Roland, I agree with your point in terms of reliance on corporate donations, but it is kind of tiresome that every time black people got to come up with their $5 and their $10 and their $15 and we got to uh, scrape and scrounge to fund things when there's plenty of money out there, it's just not coming to our institutions and to our companies. Right. Now, I firmly believe that the money... 
going to our institutions will have a positive impact, as you laid out, Roland. That it will have the impact of our stories being told. We have more autonomy. We have more capacity. And we know in this country, if it doesn't go viral, you don't get justice. So when this person is is, is shot by the cops, if it doesn't become a hashtag, if it doesn't make it to CNN, that person's not getting justice. So there are real implications to scaling up the capacity for black businesses. But my point is, Aside from all of that, we still got to make demands of these institutions, of these corporations, to give us a bigger slice of the pie. And we shouldn't always just be, okay, at the same time, riding the black institutions for what they're going to do for us. They ain't got the money yet. Right. We need to hold them accountable, but we don't even hold the same amount of accountability for them. Not you, Dr. Carr, but I'm saying as a community don't hold the white companies that are receiving the other $170 billion accountable for what they're doing for our community. So that's all my point is, that we got to get the money. They got the money. Let's get it. And then let's then hold our institutions accountable and say, all right, now you got this amount of purchasing power. What are you going to do for us? Look, I'm Angela Brock, I appreciate Angela uh, sending me a $100 donation. Uh, Jerry is Finney, $50 donation. Um, you have, uh, Jared's had actually two $50 donations. Uh, I've had other people, I deposited 30 checks last night. Y'all, if we are getting our fair share, I ain't got to ask y'all to send money via Cash App, PayPal, Venmo, Zelle, money order, check. That's how they, so that, to, to, I need to see, I need everybody listening because I need y'all to see how we connect this thing. If they're properly advertising with us, Angela gets to keep her hundred and invest it how she wants to. Now, granted, she's investing in the show, and I greatly appreciate it. What I'm trying to get y'all to understand is Angela now can say, well, I don't have to give Roland the hundred. I can now give it to my college or a scholarship fund or my community group. She's saying what Jerry is. See, that's the thing, Mustafa. When we step back and look at how we are systematically frozen out. I keep telling everybody who's listening, public workers, black public workers collectively are the richest group of black people in America. Now somebody watching going, Roland, I'm a school teacher. Boo, your school teacher money funds the teacher's Pension fund. Who do you think are the biggest investors on Wall Street? Pension funds. Who do you think venture capitalists go to to launch their firms? Pension funds. When you hear private equity, pension funds. So all these black people workers. You've got people on the state level managing pension funds. Most don't look like any of us. Then they are investing in, then they're hiring companies, investment firms, to invest the money. Don't look like us. Companies got 401k programs. They're not using Ariel. They're not using Eddie Brown in Baltimore. Black-owned mutual funds. So here they are. I need y'all to hear me. 
They are taking the collective wealth of pension funds to invest in Wall Street and Silicon Valley to make white people rich. It's connecting the dots. Mustafa, it comes down to the money. It's about economic power. You know, if we get people to understand that, then and begin to unpack where those opportunities lie, then that's when we can make real change happen inside of our organizations and inside of our communities. The resources build the infrastructure along with the ingenuity and innovation of the folks who lead those organizations. And when you understand that dynamic, then you understand why you have to put your strategies together and push these corporate entities that are not doing us a favor that's the thing that we got to get people to understand. They're not doing us a favor. They have a responsibility right. to move these dollars back into the communities that are supporting them and help to build their infrastructure. Right. So it's time for us mm-hmm. to be able to build our own infrastructure. And that's why, Greg, Harvard has a $40 billion endowment. That's why Columbia and Cornell and Texas A&M, because when you've been sitting on the money, and when folks pass on and they get to the university or they drop these millions millions upon millions. And so, sure, folks are, are, are excited that Mackenzie Scott, the ex-wife of Jeff Bezos, has been sending, you know, she is, you know she's, she's just increased the endowments of all these black universities. But I need our people to understand when we're frozen out of all of the economic sectors and all, we've, all we're getting are crumbs, that's why it makes it harder for us to fund our institutions, because we ain't getting the dollars. That's what happens when you got black kids who now have significant uh, 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 college debt, because the mama and daddy couldn't get the high-paying jobs, which allow them to save, to be able to pay for their college. All of these things are interrelated, and just so I need everybody to understand how you also create black wealth, my wife and I, my wife and I don't have any kids. Which means that if I create a multi-million dollar business and I decided to leave it to my 13 nieces and nephews, Roland's work with my wife now has created 13 black millionaires. That's what they've been doing. And so to everybody who's like, I don't know why y'all making this demand in the lawsuit, because this ain't about an individual. This lawsuit is not about buying out. This fight, this fight is not about, because trust me, I was on the phone with Byron today before I came on the show. Byron says he is prepared to file three lawsuits a week against major companies in America because he has the money to spend it. Right. So, and what I'm doing, and what I am doing is working with other black media to say, to Greg's point, be in position when you receive the money that you deliver on the goods in order because they're going to try to play numbers games with the play games with the numbers this is all we're saying but this this fight we're in right now y'all this this is what the first and the second reconstruction was about don't get just caught up in somebody saying pass the george floyd justice act no 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 you better confront the money great final comment before i go to a break i'll say real quick uh brother there's no we that's very painful for me to say there's no naturally developed queen. Yep. Byron Allen could say that, and I hope he follows through on it, but the simple fact of the matter is in the court,
court, it's only Byron Allen. And uh, I'm saying that to say in this larger context, it's very important for us to understand this. You know, I say this often to my students. I said, you know, our solidarity was stronger the, far, the, the farther back you go to the lash because we were held together through apartheid into a need for collective communal work. So when you see 1921 sitting there listening to us, uh, Mother Fletcher yesterday testify in Congress about Tulsa at 107 years old, you know, the Greenwood District uh, of Tulsa was what it was because Jim Crow held that community together. And right. they torched it. They then rebuilt it bigger. People don't understand. In the 1940s, so-called Black Wall Street was bigger then than it was in the 20s. They, they rebuilt. But what happens is when you remove the hedge of segregation, right? See, capitalism is all-inclusive. None of us are frozen out of capitalism. Harvard has the endowment because the John Harvard had plantations in the Caribbean and other places. It was based on labor theft, our labor theft. Once you have accelerated and, and, and gained that type of advantage, you never lose it. Right. The inequality just continues to expand. And so I guess what I'm saying is that it, it's more than us just thinking that there's a we. We can't stipulate that we. We have to develop that we. Right. And so otherwise, what capitalism does is, see, what you what you can create is a class of black million and billionaires who will then move in their own class interest against anybody. This is why public policy is so important. There's a lot of moving. I know we gotta we gotta go on, so it's very important. You know, and so we won't we won't have time to talk about it today. And this maybe develop, maybe you need you can pull together a conversation about this. This is why we have to think about this in terms of all these moving parts. I, 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 I'll end with this. Our HBCUs are increasingly reverting to the mentality that I would closely associate with Booker Washington at the turn of the century, which is, uh, you know, injecting these HBCU curricula with basically employment agency curricula as these same companies move toward diversity, equity, which is they're, they're being forced to do because of the people in the street who do not have that, that wealth. But the concession is, we'll pull a few more of you blacks in, make you a little bit richer, and as a result, the idea of developing a, a common mentality is checkmated in a capitalist society where we have taken individual progress as a proxy for collective progress. There's, Kwame Nkrumah said it, the seeing black millionaires is not evidence of progress. That's evidence of what capitalism does to maintain and extend its interests. And so I guess what I'm saying is we really have to think very seriously about this. And so I'm glad to see Baron Allen in court. He need to file all those lawsuits and he never needs to leave that table with you and the brothers and sisters who, if they had the money, would turn around and hire everybody because I don't see any evidence yet that these black millionaires and billionaires who have some institutional control turn around and invest that wealth in transformational projects for right. the collective. And that's, that's where, and that's, and that's where, and again, this is the last point before I go to the break that I need people who, to, to understand this. There's a reason why when we have these where's our money segments and y'all hear me talk about black advertising, you hear me mention law firms, engineering firms, architectural design firms, event planning, limousine companies, catering companies. There's a reason why I've given the challenge to black board members. Don't sit your ass on these boards and pick up your stock options and your check and you not sit at the table saying, no, 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 I, I need to see the black folks up and down. See, 
If all of a sudden, see, if this was all about, like, I got some fool talking about, oh, you're trying to enrich yourself. No, 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 no. See, my grandmother had a catering business. My brother now runs the catering business. So I want to see black caterers get their money. I want to see I, I want to see black folks run audiovisual get their money. I want to see black folks uh, who are handling uh, the car transportation get their money. See, that's where the we comes in. And so do understand, when I'm having these conversations with Byron Allen, we are having broad, deep conversations. See, y'all got to look at the list, who signed the letter. Now, the names on this letter are different than the first letter. Y'all can go back and look at the first letter, but the names on this one are different. First of all, the first letter we signed had eight names. This one only got five. Y'all look it up. So not everybody has been trying to roll. Some folks jumped off. Why am I saying that? Because this fight can't be won with scared Negroes. I could very easily be quiet and get a small check. I can't do that. Because if you tell me I'm, I should be happy with 2%, I know we should be getting 10%. Mm-mm. No, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not happy with that. Folks, this is about we understanding how the dots are connected. And if we, because remember, we are talking black-owned advertising. We start talking about black supplier development. It's a whole different conversation. I'm saying we should be getting 10% of McDonald's ad spending. We should also be getting billions in black-owned supplier development. I'm talking about everything they need. Cups, janitorial, you name it, going down the list. But I need our people to stop being scared. (laughs) I need our people to understand, scared money don't make money, and the only reason we're even sitting right here now is because we had some black folks, we had the courage to stand up to systems in this country. When we fought CNN, I called Bernard Shaw, and I said, Bernard said, Roland, every generation has its turn. Mm-hmm. Now it's your turn. Mm-hmm. We had our turn, now it's yours. I'm 52. A young brother or sister right now in high school or college should not be fighting the 1% battle 30 years from now. (laughs) So this fight, y'all, to all you fools who are saying, oh, it's all about you. No, actually, it's not. Byron's 60. It's not even about him. It's not about Todd or Junior or Butch. No, it's actually, it's actually for black-owned media 50 years from now. Because if we don't do this fight right now, 50 years from now, they're going to be having a 1%, 2% conversation. And you're going to have Negroes fighting over crumbs, happy to get 1% and 2%. As Denzel said in Malcolm X, I'm not satisfied. <laughs> we come back. We'll talk third reconstruction. I'm Roland Martin. Robert joined members of Congress to call for 
uh, a reconstruction resolution to confront what's happening before in this country. That's what they had to say. legislation necessary for a third reconstruction, reconstruction fully addressing poverty and low wealth from the bottom up. We must address several interlocking injustices simultaneously. Can't separate them anymore. Systemic racism as it relates to all races, black, against black people, brown people, indigenous people, Asian people, and the collateral damage done to white people because of systemic racism. Systemic poverty, ecological devastation, denial of health care, the war economy, and militarization of our community, and the false bar narrative of religious nationalism. We know that the cost of not addressing inequality is too high. This is the question we ask the media to ask, because we already know what the criticism will be. Well, how much does it cost? But Joseph Stiglitz, a Nobel Peace Prize economist, said for us, this is the real question. What is the cost of inequality? What is the cost of leaving it as it is? This is a moral issue rooted in the com common com commitments of our Constitution that the first thing we surround to is to establish justice, promote the general welfare, and to ensure equal protection under the law. This is a moral agenda, but a moral agenda from my faith tradition, this is Pentecost week for me as a Christian, and in Pentecost, morality is not just for coming together and singing we love each other, it is coming together by the Spirit, building a community where there is no lack. So a moral agenda is also a sound economic agenda. We must preach good news to the poor. Those Greg, um, in that first segment, you talked about public policy. That's what Barbara is talking about when we talk about the third reconstruction, uh, dealing with public policy and how to impact what's happening with the poor. You're absolutely right, Roland. I mean, and listening to uh, Representative Lee and Representative Jayapal today as they talked about this reconstruction resolution, mind you, that legislation, a resolution, just trying to, 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 to get in the conversation it really ties directly to what uh, to the large conversation we were having just before the break. You know, you don't transform a society in a modern world system built on capitalism. You don't transform it through capitalism. You have to organize people. And so, uh, what what I'm saying is that when we heard Reverend Barber and then Representative Jayapal and Representative Lee today. You know, when you talk about 140 million poor people or people who are just a step from disaster, as Representative Lee said today, and you emphasize the fact they make up 30%, we make up 30% of the electorate, then what you're saying is that public policy is the way that those who are not the winners in a winner-take-all, zero-sum game called global capitalism, believe me, capitalism doesn't stop at the U.S. border. What's going on in Palestine right now with Israel, what's going on in Africa and the Caribbean and Latin America has a direct connection to why you pay so little for draws in Walmart. But, I mean, without getting into that, public policy in this country means Barber and, and, and all are saying we must now redistribute resources. Because if you don't redistribute resources, if you don't eradicate poverty from the bottom up, as he said, and as Representative Lee said today, here's what's going to happen because capitalism is really unsustainable. Those people who don't have a place to eat and sleep, those people who don't have health care, those people who don't have a capacity to earn a living wage, you know what those people are going to say? They're going to say, well, I guess I'm a loser. I guess I'll sit down here and die. No. 
as the dude told me when I was getting my doctorate at Temple, and I saw the brother, he, had, he said, man, they're getting around the layoffs over here. He, he worked on the crew at Temple. I said, what you going to do, man? He said, I'm going to get this last check and buy a pistol and a ski mask. <laughs> See, here's what we don't understand about capitalism. It is unsustainable. You know how you stop war? You create a society where people don't feel like they have to go out and rob somebody. Damn it. Because you ain't got enough police. We're going to talk about the killers a little bit later. But what we're seeing now is the result of, of stratospheric inequality. And that's what Reverend Barber, Reverend Theo Harris, the Poor People's Campaign, and the tradition of Martin King and everybody else is trying to stop before it spins out of control. And we all out here trying to find a gun. And that's when you're going to find out the Second Amendment ain't worth the papers written on because you ain't going to be able to get a gun. <laughs> See, you see, this is that's one of the reasons why um, all these companies were complaining. They were complaining about, you know, these unemployment benefits. And I got a tweet early, and I wish I can remember it. Send it to me. Um, and it was it was one guy who he had to raise his wages to $15 an hour. And then he started marketing his available jobs. Guess what happened? They all got filled. Then guess what happened? He didn't see a drop off in revenue. See what, what what you're seeing with this third, what you're seeing with the man fifteen dollars an hour. You're seeing people say y'all want somebody to work for seven dollars an hour. You're not providing any child care. Uh, I don't have transportation. So hell yeah, I, if I if if I gotta go through all of that, I might as well just take unemployment. If literally I can't afford child care. So all these pro-lifers, part of their family values, don't like Head Start. Don't like prenatal care. <laughs> well, all of a sudden, y'all want to holler uh, why these lazy folks can't work. <laughs> a lot of them want to work, but there are other impediments to keeping them from working. Absolutely. I mean, and here's the thing that's so crazy about this is there are public policy proposals. There are politicians that are actually trying to get to the root of this problem. But what's happening, the, the, the number one way to combat that is not actually through this capitalism, it's actually through this propaganda campaign, this disinformation and misinformation campaign that keeps people distracted, that keeps people dumb, that keeps people ignorant, that actually empowers their ignorance through all of these false, through all this false information to turn them against the very people that are actually trying to propose the solutions that will uplift their lot. That is the craziest part about the society that we're living in. So I, I, I understand Dr. Carr's position about capitalism and being unsustainable, but I think one of the one of the really pressing issues that doesn't get enough attention is how unsustainable our society is if we continue to live in a society where we don't agree on a basic set of facts, where we don't live in a fact-based society. We don't live in a science-based society when it comes to this pandemic and the vaccine, for instance. We don't live in a fact-based society even when it comes to our politics. And I've seen this, I'm not going to invoke any names because we don't have enough time for all that. But I will say I've seen time and time again where people are against the, let's just say the CBC, for example. The CBC gets more shit than Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy and any of these other, even Donald Trump did at the time. And they're the ones who have put forth the HR reporting commission. They're the ones who have been the conscience of the Congress. They're the ones who have for decades tried to push forth poverty reducing measures, health, universal health care. John Conyers was the one who introduced it over and over again before Bernie Sanders became popular for, for, for champ, or not championing it, but for talking about it, let me say that. And so 
we have a disconnect in between where we have people that are so blinded and so captivated by disinformation that they're actually making it that much easier to keep them down because they're not supporting the people. And it's not a magic wand, but it does start with actually supporting the politicians at every single level that are actually proposing these solutions. Mustafa. Well, you know, I know policy. And, you know, it's interesting. When we talk about poverty in our country, you know, it is de it is debilitating to the mind, to the body, and to the spirit. And when you look at the policies that are connected to each of those elements, then you understand the dynamics that are happening in America. You know, we understand the lack of investment that is happening around education and accessibility uh, and how we are unwilling to pay folks who are actually creating the next set of leaders for our country. So that says something about our country and where we place value on individuals. When we talk about the body, there's no reason for folks to be dying prematurely from air pollution or when they turn on the tap that they can't have clean water coming out or being exposed to lead. We know that in our country right now that we got a wealth gap that's going on. So this resolution begins to get people focused in the right direction if they're willing to actually do the hard work. When you got $171,000 going to white families and $17,000 going to black families and brown families, then you know you got a problem that you have to be able to address if you're serious about the dynamics that are going on in this country. When you got 24 million people who are dealing with food insecurity and living in food deserts and 25 million people who are in physician deserts and medically underserved areas and they can't actually even get to a doctor, even in a COVID-19 pandemic, then you know you got some you got some problems that are going on. When you got 500,000 people who every night in this country are going to bed homeless or housing insecure, that goes back to the poverty part of what Dr. Barber was talking about. When you got 2.2 million folks who are in prisons and jails and internment centers, and that you continue to feed that pipeline, when if you made the investments in these other areas that we're talking about, you can completely change that dynamic and you can build wealth back in black and brown and indigenous communities because the men are, and some of the women are not going to jail, but they're actually being utilized with that God-given ingenuity and innovation that they have. You can change the dynamic. And for those brothers and sisters who are focused on gun violence and the 36,000 people who are dying, it is tied to poverty. People are making choices. People are losing hope because folks won't invest in them. So when we have this resolution talking about this third set of opportunities, and when Biden, who I support, everybody knows that, and I love Kamala, then we should be having not a, just a Build Back Better campaign, but a campaign that is specifically focused on those individuals who have been unseen and unheard. And I believe that the administration is actually trying to do that. But sometimes we got to call it out. Who are the folks who are in pain right now? Who are the folks who have been disinvested in? And are we serious about changing this system? Our brother W.E.B. Du Bois shared with us that the system was not designed for us. That's right. But I think we can change that dynamic here. In the 21st century, we can make some decisions about if we really truly want to embrace everyone in our country, do we actually want to truly lift everybody up? And that means we have to have intentionality. We have to have intentionality of making sure that policy, which has been infused with racism and discrimination and biases, that that is extracted and that is no longer allowed and that there is penalties for those who continue to utilize those types of practices, whether on the federal, the state, the county, or the local level. That's right. Here, here.
We can leave it at that. The George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, folks, will not be ready for a vote by May 25th, the first anniversary of George Floyd's death. Congressman Karen Bass emphasized that the bipartisan group working on the police reform bill wants to get it right. We haven't come to terms yet. She, should, she suggested the legislation could still be voted upon in the coming weeks. She's hopeful it will hold up in the Senate. Qualified immunity and a federal provision known as the color of law are two terms still being negotiated. The bill seeks to ban chokeholds, no knock warrants, and racial profiling at every level of law enforcement. You know, Greasy, uh, uh, a lot of people keep. Uh, uh, black folks been hitting me, man. How did they pass the anti Asian hate bill? And they ain't moved on this, first of all. Everybody who. I see Greg shaking his head. First of all, most of y'all fools ain't read the damn bill. Exactly. You ain't read it. No. You ain't read it. It is not a specific Asian bill. I mean, that's how dumb this is. And so, a bill like the George Floyd Justice Act, it's already passed the House. It requires negotiation with their end. So these people are, where's that? Well, where, where's the anti-lynching bill? And I've been challenging these fools. Well, how many of y'all even call your senator? <laughs> you sitting there around here complaining, where's this? Where? What have you done? That's the thing that kills me, Reese. I mean, just, and it's like, yo, this is why it takes negotiation. Right. I would rather them keep negotiating than have no bill at all. Make it happen. Yeah, but also, I mean, here's the thing. Like you said, Ro, people don't even look at the details. Uh, I, and I, I think there are, and I said yesterday, there are plenty of examples of how black people get screwed, justice is delayed, it's hard fought, or is denied altogether. But this COVID anti-hate crime bill is not one of those. It literally creates a DOJ employee position, which, by the way, you don't even need legislation to do this. They can easily do this on an executive level. But I understand that Congress wants to get a win, and, and they put this legislation forward. And it creates mm-hmm. issuing guidance. This is not some new class of protection that's specifically only for Asian Americans. The hate crimes has been legal since the Title I of the Civil Rights Act, which was for black people, by the way. And then in 2009, you have the Matthew Shepard and the James Burr Jr. Um, hate crime act that was attached to the defense authorization. And so this isn't some, oh, all of a sudden now we care about hate crimes. Where is the Afro-American hate crimes bill? What are you talking about? Did you miss the 1960s? Did you miss the Civil Rights Act? Why are y'all mad about shit that has been in place for decades when we have the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, which, by the way, when it was introduced, what went viral that day can take long. Environment. So we have to get serious about how bad we want these things to pass. It's not cool to only bring it up when you want to talk about, oh, well, this person is getting that. Oh, they had the Biden is reversing transgender um, discrimination. Oh, they've signed the anti-Asian hate crimes bill. Where's our black ass bill? Well, where is the energy to pass it? Why did we not seize the momentum when people were out in the streets and we had a bill on the floor to pressure Mitch McConnell? to get up Rand Paul's ass when he was filibustering the anti-lynching legislation that had passed two times previously under the leadership of then-Senator Kamala Harris, Senator Booker, and even Tim Scott, unanimously. And it had passed in the House, and Rand Paul was the one who filibustered it. So we have to get our shit together and quit looking at, well, they got this and they got that. When we get more, we, we, we focus so much more on getting cool points and scoring viral tweets and getting a clickbait and, 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 and being the most woke motherfuckers on the internet, 
we should have done it 10 times more last year, but we were too busy arguing about this doesn't go far enough and this doesn't happen. And then a year later, everybody's complaining about the bill that they trashed and didn't get behind last year. So get serious and let's see what happens. But I already see people trashing qualified immunity. It might be out. Qualified immunity is probably going to be out. But we're going to get the ban on chokeholds, which is what is addressing uh, Eric Garner and actually addressing George Floyd. We're going to get the ban on no-knock warrants. We're going to get the registry, the national registry, which something like that would have prevented the person who killed uh, Tamir Rice from being able to get his job. So there's a lot of victories in this bill. We get behind it and quit trying to tear down any kind of progress that we can make so we can complain a year or two years later down the line if we don't have any progress. So here's what is interesting, Ray. This is from an NPR story. This, this is for the people again who won't read. <laughs> um, it says the bill aims to make the reporting of hate crimes more accessible at the local and state levels by boosting public outreach and ensuring reporting resources are available online in multiple languages. It also directs the Department of Justice to designate a point person to expedite the review of hate crimes related to COVID-19 and authorizes grants to state and local governments to conduct crime reduction programs to prevent and respond to hate crimes. Greg, that's not only Asians. It's hate crimes. And that's everybody. So for all the people who keep acting like, ooh, the Asians got their bill. Y'all, I told y'all, all these, all these old you fake-ass YouTube historians, you did a video saying Congress can't pass a specific, uh, can't pass a specific bill based upon race, y'all. The attacks on Asians precipitated the bill. The bill ain't specific to Asians. It's not. If there's a hate crime that involves somebody black, this also impacts them. I don't don't understand why people, and again, this is what happens when you listen to these fake-ass YouTube historians who read nothing and y'all fools get all excited and hype about so-and-so, she said this, and he said this. <laughs> if black people are a victim of a hate crime, it can get reported under the set. Greg, go ahead. <laughs> no, my brother, you laid it out. You answered the question. We're not only not reading, we're in a society where uh, literacy is not an asset. Everything is tied to your capacity to earn some money, to make some money. So, you know, the, 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 the least amount of time you can spend uh, reading, thinking, you know, those things are diminishing in society. So, I mean, I mean, so of course they wouldn't know. But, yeah, having read, as I think we all have, the uh, the COVID-19 Hate Crimes Act, you know, it, it's a couple of things struck me. And then listening, of course, to uh, Congresswoman Bass today who said, you know, if this thing passed the way I wanted it exactly, after it passed, the next day I would be back in there moving forward. In other words... There are no silver bullets. And Reese, you made a very important point, sis. When you look at that, that, that three or four years after the end of the Civil War, 1865, 6-7, the Civil Rights Act of 1866, going back to Byron Allen, that's what he's using to go into court, I suspect. Now, look, these the, the legislation and policy is only as good as your capacity to enforce it. When you saw the deaths of Swerner, Goodman, and Cheney a century later in 1964 in Mississippi, uh, the reason why United States versus Price reached the Supreme Court and they were able to uphold a federal conviction of those crackers who acted as a mob in there, who acted under the under the color of law, was because the example was so egregious that 
them and convict them on intent. The problem with the George Floyd Act is the problem in American law in the first place, which is when you're dealing with non-white life, the assumption is that there was no intent in, in, in terms of harming non-white people, particularly black people. There was no intent that was racial. All of that is about juries. All of that is about judges. It isn't about the letter of the law. In fact, arguably, you would need no new legislation. Malcolm X's birthday was yesterday. Remember when he said in 1963 that when uh, when black people took the thing in their own hands in Birmingham after the crackers came out there and started trying to beat up black people? Kennedy sent in the troops. Malcolm said there was no new law. There was only a decision by a policymaker to make these words mean something when white life was being threatened. Why am I saying that in the context of what we saw today with this COVID-19 act? You're absolutely right, uh, Roland. Money in that act is going to be used to create a national database. You know who doesn't want a national database? The, the five congressional Republicans out of Georgia voted against it, including that nut Marjorie Taylor Greene. And in the United States Senate, one of the leaders of the January uh, 6th insurrection, young Josh Hawley, out of Missouri, who was the only member of the United States Senate to vote against the legislation. Do you know why? Because they understand that there is no silver bullet in one bill, in one piece of legislation, but every time you win an incremental victory, and if and when they take out qualified immunity, the George Floyd Act is a toothless act, but it's got one more tooth than it did the day before it signed, and then we keep going. Every time you push a little further, you get closer to the resolution. This country is not going to exist in its current formation. What these white boys going to understand one day is that the only hope they have of not having to meet their maker in the streets of these very cities they think they're protecting is policy that will somehow, going back to what you said, stop a second ago, will somehow create some safety nets for all of us. Because if all of us don't get a safety net, ain't nobody going to have a damn safety net. That's what history teaches us. And uh, y'all, again, it's, it's the really stuck on stupid people. Like this dumbass who goes by Truth Seeker. He goes, the George Floyd Act is not a bill just for black folk either, Roland. So Asian crime bill is for everyone, but call the Asian crime bill. Yeah, okay, Roro. No, dumbass. Go to my computer. This is the name of the bill. The bill is called the COVID-19 Hate Crimes Act. That's the name. <laughs> it was introduced as a result of the hate crimes attacks on Asians during COVID. So no dumbass, <laughs> it's not the anti-Asian hate crimes bill. Just like the 1964 Civil Rights Act, it's not the black people bill. <laughs>
when it came to the police registry that Obama signed into law when we were out on the streets protesting with Black Lives Matter. I ain't hear none of y'all say talk all that bullshit when Congresswoman Alma Adams inserted language in the farm bill that led to millions going to HBCU. Y'all talk all that shit about the, about the CBC, but y'all didn't say nothing. Y'all said nothing about that. If all y'all talking all that trash, you didn't say a damn thing about what was inserted in the COVID relief bill and no the five billion wasn't all for black farmers. It was for disadvantaged farmers that included African Americans. But it's amazing how y'all don't bring none of that up. <laughs> five billion. Y'all don't say nothing. But you want to hide. Roller, you 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 supported you Roller, you supported uh, the Democrats, uh, and we ain't got nothing. All right. Tell me how many black businesses went out of business due to due to COVID nineteen? Who didn't get PPP loans? Mm-hmm. See, 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 y'all want to go there? Yeah, man, you sitting here, you know, uh, uh, Reese, you sitting here supporting Kamala, uh, and y'all all up here uh, supporting the Democrats. All right, well, tell me this then: Did your ass cash that check? <laughs> <laughs> Y'all cash that check for the $1.9 billion COVID relief plan. Holler at me if you did. Let me know <laughs> you sent that check back to the IRS. <laughs> and for every fool hollering, <laughs> uh, 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 we're the anti lynching bill. How many of you punk asses called Senator Rand Paul's office? <laughs> exactly. Okay, y'all talking all this trash about oh, 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 where the George Floyd Justice Act. How many of you punk asses have called the sinners for you from? See, y'all don't want to go there. All y'all want to do is sit here and bitch and moan. <laughs> Man, the CBC ain't shit. They ain't done nothing. Uh, uh, they ain't done nothing. What, what your ass have done? <laughs> Tell me that. Tell me that. So again, if any one of y'all, please tell me, oh, the, the, the Asians got their bill, read it. Tell me how that bill is specific only to Asians. It's not. That's what happens when all y'all do is listen to fake ass YouTube never will be's. <laughs> who are only interested in taking more of your money. And y'all fools should have heard what so-and-so said, so-and-so said, so-and-so, uh, so-and-so uh, did this here, uh, so, uh, so-and-so said this here, uh, we need to get ours, uh, where's our check, where's our check, matter of fact, all y'all talking all this shit, how many of y'all call your congressional member about H.R. 40? See, since y'all want to invite hashtag team whip that ass to today's show. <laughs> I decided to unleash it. Show me the proof of you calling your member of Congress every single day, five days a week, encouraging them to pass HR 40. Show me. Show me all the fake ass YouTube historians y'all follow. Show me how they mobilize and organize. 
mighty damn quiet. <laughs> Punk ass truth seeker. You ain't seeking nothing right now. <laughs> but you sought that ass whooping and you got it. <laughs> and he's a proxy for a whole bunch of y'all. So y'all can stop sending me these stupid tweets. Well, all oh, the Asian got deals and we ain't got ours. <laughs> Please, by all means, show me the Asian specific Sick and tired of these people. 
Again, listen to folk who are preying on their emotions, who are doing the same, they doing the same thing to y'all that Trump's doing. Pushing your racial buttons. And you end up attacking black people who are actually fighting for you. Y'all can make y'all can go ahead and comment before I go to break. Go on here. Greg Greasy Mustafa. Just co-sign, brother. Reading is fundamental. That's what they said to us when we were growing up. And my daddy be like, your daddy. My daddy worked that shift at the VA hospital. Come on, read that paper. Front to back, back to front. And a lot of y'all understand that because you got people like that in your families. We, we all understand why everybody is feeling that way. It's out of our pain. Our people have been persecuted for centuries. So this isn't an attack on that pain. It's a, it's a reminder, as John Henry Clark used to say, don't just get mad, get smart. We can do this. But we're going to have to do it. it, it everything. What did they feel Randolph say? I'm about what, you, whatever you get at that table, you have to take. And then you got to keep it. This is a war. It's been a war since they put, our, put the first person who looked like you put their hands on you on the coast of Africa. And black people sold black people into slavery. Let's get rid of that too. Guess what? No supply, no demand, no supply. It wouldn't have been no fights over there if it hadn't been a boat sitting up there with some people who are open enemies, and now their children's children are the ones shooting you in the face in the streets and trying to pass legislation to keep you out. And if you don't think calling and protesting and doing all this stuff isn't effective, ask yourself this. Why are they working so hard to stop you from voting? Because they understand. It's up to us to understand. Reason. Dr. Carr, I think what he said is not an attack on your pain. That is so key. It's not an attack on your pain. I understand, like Dr. Carr says, why people feel like black people are left out. We are left out all the time. But let's focus on the battles that we still have yet to win. We're not sitting up here comparing shit that we already got decades ago. Is it as effective as it could be? No. And neither is this new COVID-19 hate crime bill going to be. Okay? So let's focus on what's still left to do. Let's focus on... Put a Walmart tooth in that mouth, you know, these two That's right, deals. that's right. Let's focus on who are who are our real enemies. There are real enemies, okay? Almost 100% of the Republican Party, we can't even get them to say two plus two equals four, and y'all up <laughs> the CBC's ass every time I turn around. So let's focus on the people that are actually standing in the way of us getting our justice, of us making progress, and quit being distracted by the clickbait being distracted by the memes, by the tweets that are miscaptioned and the images and the headlines and the disinformation and the YouTube scholars. And let's actually educate ourselves on what the solutions are, who are the people pushing those solutions, and who are the people on the opposite side and mobilize in that way. Because like Dr. Carr always says, the individual is not going to be that we have to collectively come together. And the sooner that we become a we, instead of foreign factions on Twitter, <laughs> we will start to make progress, period. Black folks, we are incredibly powerful, but we deplete our power when we don't educate ourselves, when we don't understand the systems and where the leverage points are. I worked for John Conyers for two years. In the nighttime, at the end of the day, John would come in and he would say, who called in today? Who emailed in today? What were their concerns? Were they supporting H.R. 676, the universal health care bill that we were working on? 
and a number of other things. Did anybody call in and ask about reparations and the bills that I'm introducing to actually address that issue? You have power, but we give it away. We give it away to folks all the time. Reese shared with you. I was I wanted to take notes while you were talking because if we would actually understand our power and we would continue to utilize it in this moment, the midterms is a blink away. What are you yeah. doing? How are you getting prepared? Who else are you educating to, to maximize that power? If you want to actually make sure one, make sure you're supporting these brothers and sisters who are fighting for you. On Capitol Hill, it is a shark game that's going on up there. <laughs> they need your support. The administration needs your support to push them to go as far as they possibly can. If they turn around and there's nobody pushing them, then they can't say, I got a million folks. So let's do this. Let's have a million black folks over the next week call folks on Capitol Hill, email to folks on Capitol Hill. And as Roland said, or make sure you're stopping by if you got your mask on, because I still think black folks need to wear masks. You go by their district offices and just say, you know what, I just want to share with you what my expectations are of the member, and I'm going to support that member if they're moving in that direction. That's what power looks like. If you want the resources that the federal government actually has, you got to get engaged in that. These dollars that are going to flow from the federal down to the state, to the counties, and to the locals, you got to be engaged in that process. If you don't, those dollars are going to go to the folks who are engaged in the process. Like, I got some dumbass Maurice Arrington called the CBC for not speaking out against what Israel goes to the Palestinians. Dumbass Cory Bush talked about that on the floor of the. Don't say it, Rome. A young Presley talked about that. See, this was how stupid some of y'all are. Y'all just sit here and just tweet just dumb stuff. Don't respond to him, Roland. Roland, let me ask this right because you just are dumb. I just want to say this right quick, brother. One of the proudest moments I've had watching C-SPAN and watching when I saw Corey Bush, Rashida Tlaib, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, when I saw them stand up the other day, one after the other, and put that Palestinian issue in. This is why people say, all the parties are the same, they don't vote, then you didn't even watch. Don't get, look, now I'm getting mad like you, let me calm down. Ignore that, Roland, because it happened, okay? If you want to know, go look it up. Go watch Roland Martin Unfiltered. They all listed right there, and you can watch the, watch the video. But don't even, don't argue with people. This is how ignorance works. Reese just said, you throw something out there, and people start arguing, and before you know it, Right, been distracted from the death. Right, so 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 then, so so, so dumbass Maurice Arrington, <laughs> all y'all trash in the CBC. This is called Exhibit A for idiots. <laughs> Israeli government is violently dispossessing yet another neighborhood of Palestinian families from homes they have lived in for decades. We cannot stand idly and complicitly by and allow the occupation and oppression of the Palestinian people to continue. We cannot remain silent when our government... Anybody else want to ask about today? <laughs> I got lots of spare ass whoopings at the office today. Anybody else want one today? You know what? I'm going to tell y'all something that my daddy once told me, and I know he watching, and... Uh, he got mad because I was talking too much in class. Uh, and a teacher called the house and was like, your son talking too much in class. Now, me personally, I think my dad should be apologizing to me because I was practicing <laughs> then for what I do now. 
just saying. I mean, I was practicing, Daddy. Um, <laughs> but my dad said, he said, man, if you don't shut your mouth in class, I'm going to stop a mud hole in your ass. And I stood there, and I was like, damn, what's a mud hole? Ooh, that's a black man right there. Because, you know, I saw, I saw a movie the other day. Uh, matter of fact, uh, uh, the movie where Morgan Freeman played the pimp, uh, and they were on the basketball court, and he jammed his brother up and blocked his shot. And he said the same thing. He said, I'm going to stop a mud hole in your ass. And I was like, where that? So that's got to be a black a black man fray. I'm going to stop a mud hole in your ass. And so any, any of y'all out here uh, want to keep tweeting me and posting nonsense, I'd be happy to stomp some mud holes in your asses. Because I'm just tired of this. I'm just tired of this. I'm just, I'm, I'm, stop I'm, it, Reese. Stop it. Please, stop it. I'm just tired of this, <laughs> man. I, 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 I want to say one more thing. To Dr. Carr's point, were you watching? I need us to challenge ourselves to move beyond what goes viral. That's why we, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of preaching to the choir a little bit because you're watching Roller Martin on Filter if you're seeing this. But please stop just focusing on what goes viral. If you care about an issue, follow the people that are talking about the issue. Ayanna Presley is not going to go viral for that. Cory Bush is not going to go viral for that. Doesn't mean I didn't speak about it. So any issue that you claim to care about, seek out the issue and seek out the people talking about those issues. And then you help that go viral instead of just waiting until it makes it to a meme on the Shade Room or Baller Alert on all your favorite mm-hmm. YouTube channel. You need to challenge yourselves and step up your game. And as um, Mustafa said, educate ourselves. We are our own worst enemies because we claim to care about issues, but yet we don't want to do any of the legwork to even inform ourselves or support the people who are actually pushing us forward on those issues. And let me be real clear. This is also what happens when y'all spend y'all time listening to gossip channels. (laughs) This is what happens when y'all Spend y'all time listening to dating channels. Y'all caught up. All all this debate. I, I'm so tired. Y'all, I'm so tired of these fools talking about what's a high net net worth man, a high net worth woman. When if some of you when if y'all were real honest, see y'all don't really want me to go there. I know my frat brother major is waiting, but y'all don't really want me to go there. Because y'all love sitting here talking about, you know, you start, you listen to mess. <laughs> <laughs> you listen. I'm just going to go old school black. See, you listen to mess. You listen to mess. See, this is what happened when y'all spend y'all time uh, just talking about, you know, well, I, I want a high net, net worth man. I want a high uh, net worth woman when... Your own mama and daddy couldn't make your list. Yeah, y'all don't want me to have that show one day, do y'all? y'all? Matter of fact, I might go ahead and do that. I might go ahead and do that. Well, I might just have an hour dating show and just go ahead and just just barrel through some of y'all nonsense. Because it's just, it's just dumb. But see, when you got a folk, who go, man? Uh, I, 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 I can't stand. You know, you know, we don't know what's going on. But you, but, but see, when you spend your time listening to gossip, when you spend your time on mess, <laughs> see, that's what happens when you do that. Whole bunch of y'all caught up in Kwame Brown and Stephen Jackson and Matt Barnes acting like some damn ten year olds, posting videos, threatening each other talking about each other. <laughs> yeah, I don't cover that bullshit here. I don't. I don't 
J-Lo sleeping with right now? <laughs> right. I don't care. I don't care who the hell uh, somebody dating. <laughs> I don't care. That's why you don't get that mess on this show. Now, if y'all want to go listen to y'all want to go listen uh, to gossip with lace fronts, go on right ahead. <laughs> <laughs> right, right There's here. nothing wrong with lace fronts, Roland. No, no, no. Bad lace fronts. <laughs> gossip <laughs> lace fronts. That's the woo. Bad lace fronts. Yeah. If y'all want to go listen, if y'all will go listen to people who only get click, who only get views when they mention my name, go ahead. If y'all want to go listen to people who want to call folk coons and everything else, y'all go right ahead. Not here. You gonna get educated here. You you gonna learn something here. <laughs> And what you're not going to do is come here with that BS. Because we know they ain't read nothing. All they're doing is pressing your emotional buttons. And you're responding accordingly. So, take this as a warning. If you come at Uncle Roro, don't, don't come here with foolishness. Because I'm going to check you. I'm going to hit you square in your eyes with some facts. And then I'm going to purposely call your name so everybody know you a fool. <laughs> so that's why uh, that dude, Maurice, yeah, they all going to know your name, Maurice. <laughs> They're going to know how dumb you are that you don't know how to use Google. Because <laughs> all your dumb ass, this is my last point before, before major. If your dumb ass had just, let me just show your Dumbass, how it's done. <laughs> I mean, just, just, just for y'all. And I know, and I know somebody out there rolling you cussing, and my daddy probably said, "But you, son, you cussing." I don't. <laughs> Let me show you, idiots, what I just did. For the fool who said, "Why well, the CBC I ain't said nothing about Israel?" Go to my computer. <laughs> Went to Twitter, and it was a fool who sent me a tweet. Went to Twitter. I typed in uh, Yana Presley. I clicked. Matter of fact, I ain't even have to click videos. So dumbass Maurice Arrington <laughs> who sent me that stupid tweet. <laughs> Maurice, I typed in one of the 59 members of the Black Caucus. My God, look at the first post that came up. Waleed Shaheed posted it. It's right there. Right there. Scroll to the second one. Ayanna Presley questions U.S. aid to Israel. Oh, question the third one. Representatives Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Rashida Tlaib, Ayanna Presley, Cory Bush voice support of Palestine in speeches to Congress. Guess what, dumbass Maurice? <laughs> Three of them are members of the CBC. Tlaib, Bush, and Presley. But your simple Simon ass... <laughs> Can't even use basic damn search functions. Again, anybody else would like me to stomp a mud hole in your ass? Please, by all means, step up. I'll be back with my frat brother, Major. Brother, um, uh, Major, uh, course, uh, he, had, he had to leave it. He was going to reschedule Major to come back on the show. So uh, I just had to go ahead and just take a little time for them. 
Bulls. Y'all, if y'all want to support what we do here at Rolling Martin Unfiltered, please do so by joining our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar you give is going to support what we do. Cash out, dollar sign, RM Unfiltered. PayPal.me forward slash R-Martin Unfiltered. Venmo.com forward slash RM Unfiltered. Zell is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Uh, please support what we do, y'all, because uh, we're all about uh, speaking truth to power. Uh, not only that, uh, uh, Reese, um, uh, so last, uh, was it last week you were on? You, you asked yes. us to um, you asked us uh, to support uh, uh, so so here's the deal. Like y'all been asking, Erica Wilson, who was Erica normally is on our Thursday panel. Erica was in a major car accident, y'all. A major car accident. We almost lost Erica. That's how serious this car accident was. She's in serious physical therapy. Okay, that's why. Like I'm talking about, Erica told me she won't be on for a year. Mm. Hopefully, her physical therapy. That'll get reduced. So that's what's going on with her while she's out on on Thursday. And so Reese asked us, uh, Reese asked, Reese uh, asked me, because uh, you know Erica ain't gonna. I told Erica if you need something, holler. Erica ain't gonna ask for nothing. So we got her cash app, uh, and uh, a lot of y'all uh, gave her a love offering. I just want y'all to know. Uh, so hold on, let me go ahead and read this. said my heart is full rolling thank you and the rmu family for the love offering lots of therapies but god will heal me miss you all god bless uh and so uh erica so if y'all wanna uh if y'all wanna send a little love offer telling you miss erica she's dollar sign erica savage wilson dollar sign e-r-i-c-a s-a-v-a-g-e wilson w-i-l-s-o-n dollar sign erica savage wilson uh, we definitely miss Erica on the show. I know the folks in uh, Albany, uh, Albany, New, uh, Georgia, I miss her as well. Uh, so we just want to go ahead and keep praying for her again, y'all, as she goes through uh, her physical therapy. Uh, Mustafa, my daddy said he liked that hat. Uh, so um, <laughs> I just want to let you know, he said he liked that hat. So, you know, he'll be sending me texts while I'm sitting here working. Uh, so I want to give you that shout out. Uh, and, and y'all, y'all be sending stuff, my lord, y'all be sending stuff to the show. Reese, uh, hey, uh, Chelsea, bring me them blankets. <laughs> y'all, black people, I, look, I, hey, I love, I, look, I love the RMU family. Y'all be hooking us up. Y'all be, I mean, I told y'all, yeah, bring me, the, bring me that cane in my office. Greg, you saw, saw the cane, Greg? <laughs> Greg, somebody sent me a Roland Martin unfiltered alpha, alpha, alpha cane. I don't need it. There's such a that thing. Nice. No, it's no. She made it. So y'all, bring me that box on the front front desk with those uh, crochet blankets in it, and bring me my uh yeah, bring me and bring me the cane out the office. I, y'all, seriously, folks be sending me um okay okay let me see, let me do this here. Got a curve on the top. Hey dog, yeah, it's one of them old school. It's one of them old school. Uh, <laughs> and let me, I, I need to show this too. Remember I told y'all Angela Brock. Angela, I told y'all she kicked the hundred dollar check. So Angela's daughter is a journalist. And I, okay, I got to give her a shout out. So let me uh, let me where's all my stuff up here? All right, here the cane. <laughs> all right, so let me read this, y'all. I told y'all my black people be be hooking us up. Uh, <laughs> control room, y'all just hold on. I know we're going over time, but it's all good. Y'all, so she sent this. My name is Angela Brock, native Washingtonian, a huge fan, and av- avid watcher of Roma Unfiltered. Close her check for $100. I learned so much from your panel discussions, guests, and commentary. A day doesn't go by without me spreading uh, the message to my friends, family, and clients about the knowledge that I get from your show. Uh, hold on, let me see this again. 
uh, and pull it up right here. And she said, uh, Aaron, you got that? You got that? So she said, I've also included a T-shirt for you that my daughter Angel brought design. She is selling these shirts to get the me- drop the lower third. She is selling these shirts to get the message out that America needs black journalists now more than ever. Her story as a news producer in local news in today's society is interesting within itself. She understands your plight and is passionate about the black agenda. Read her reason for designing this shirt on the enclosed note card. Uh, and then her website is angelbrocktv.com. Uh, she's a news producer who received the White House Correspondents Award. She is doing great things in her career. Her mama, Angela Brock. So that's the shirt I wore on yesterday's show. Uh, and so I just want to give her a shout out. Uh, and then so Greg... One of the guests made this here. Oh. This Roland Martin. It has Roland Martin unfiltered. It has Roland Martin. And it has on the other side black and gold. Uh, Mustafa, you, you're a fellow alpha too. Has A5A on it. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, she made that. And Reese, um, <laughs> the sister put her name in here. Hold on. Did she put it right here? All right. So, uh, I can't make out her name. Hi, Mr. Martin. Could you please give these two blankets to Miss Reese? A new baby girl. Uh, if you're not able to, would you please give them, donate, donate them? Uh, so I'm not. I'm gonna send them to Reese, y'all. I gotta mail to Reese. So Reese, this is this is one of the blankets. Uh, this person crocheted for your new so baby. Beautiful. That's 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 that blanket right there. And I guess they hedged their bets. So they figured that was gonna be a boy. Uh, so they went ahead uh, and made two. So this is the pink one. Oh, I love it. Right here. So I'm a, uh, I'm gonna mail those to you uh, and get them to you. So uh, to our fans, I appreciate y'all uh, for supporting what we do, and thanks a lot. I'm gonna see y'all uh, tomorrow. Reese, Mustafa, Greg, thanks a bunch. Holla! <laughs>